Back on the High Motor Podcast. This is the midweek episode of the High Motor Podcast. Thanks for coming back. Thanks for checking out the show for the first time. I hope you do come back for the next episode. Stay with us through the rest of this offseason and into the college football season. This is going to be an entirely Big 12 episode. Brandon Marcello, National College Football Writer for 24-7 Sports. He's going to be on the show in a bit. One of the best in the business. Very happy to have him this week to run through his recently published Big 12 predictions first on Tuesday I quote tweeted a tweet about Trump saying if we test fewer people we'll have fewer cases of the virus and my response a lighter response took a shot at Rutgers football I had actually typed out the response using my alma mater Kansas but Kansas gets so many shots on this show and across the country that I threw them a bone and they did obliterate Rutgers two years ago so Rutgers took the shot here but That shot got me thinking, who's the most pathetic college football program of each decade as we go into a new decade here? Because it wasn't Rutgers in the 2010s. It was absolutely Kansas in the 2010s because Rutgers did become the national punchline as the decade ended, but Rutgers had more wins. If you go back and look, more wins in the first three years of the decade. So 2010 through 2012, Rutgers had more wins in the first three years of the decade than Kansas had the entire decade. Rutgers uh, started the decade hot and then obviously ran off a cliff with a variety of problems. So it is Kansas for last decade. 21 total wins for them. They didn't win more than three games in a season all decade. And when I saw that, or I I knew that actually, but when I re-looked at those numbers, I thought they had to be the first FBS program to accomplish that feat over a decade. That's not true. Somebody else has done it. I'll get to that program here in a little bit. But Kansas had fewer wins last decade than New Mexico State. They had the fewest of any full-time FBS program. Here's a, here's a really good one, too. They played 24 more games than UTSA, than Texas San Antonio, who wasn't even a full-time FBS program for the entire decade. So they played 24 more games than UTSA and still had fewer wins. That's the first part of it. The second part of this, not only did they play 24 more games than UTSA and have fewer wins, They had 20 fewer wins than them. Almost half the number of wins. UTSA had 41. Kansas had 21. Who's the most pathetic program of the 2000s then? I started going back a little bit and looking at this. Like Kansas, this is a really easy one, I think. It's got to be Duke. 19 wins during that decade, 2000-09. They had three winless seasons. Twice over a three-year period. So two separate instances of this in the same decade. Twice they won two total games over three years. Again, they did that two separate times, two total wins over three years. I'll do one more before I get Brandon on the blower here. The 1990s, two easy ones, I think, with the 2010s Kansas and 2000s with Duke. And you know maybe one of these next shows with Chase Kitty will predict the most pathetic programs in this coming decade. That could, that could be a little bit of fun. But anyways, the 1990s, 
for once, it's not as easy, but I think it is a G5 program because there were a lot of bad P5 programs, but not to that level of what Duke and Kansas did over the last two decades. Iowa State was garbage. They're close. Oregon State was garbage. They're close, both under 30 wins for the decade. But the big one here, I think, is Kent State. They had 15 total wins in the 1990s. They are that program, like I said, they're like Kansas. They didn't win more than three games in a season all decade. I mean, this is going to be really bad podcasting here, but check this out. I'm going to extend this to 1989 just because it's funnier. Kent State had zero wins in 1989, and then starting in 1990, two wins, one, two, zero, two, one, two, three, zero, and two. Kent State, the worst program of the 1990s. You come to the High Motor Podcast and you get a little bit of history on Kent State football that you did not know you needed today. All right, with Brandon Marcel here, National College Football Writer for 24-7 Sports, and we're going to talk a lot about Brandon's article on 24-7 Sports. If you wanted to pull that up, if not driving and follow along here, he wrote, it's called Big 12 Projected Order of Finish Superlatives for 2020. Brandon, first with what transpired on Monday with Oklahoma State, you currently have them second in your predictions in the Big 12 behind Oklahoma did Monday's events do anything to change your opinion overall on their chances of reaching the Big 12 championship this year? Yeah, we'll see. Uh, let me know who the coach is and uh, which players are on the team when the season starts, and I could potentially uh, change my pick there. But um, everything's moving in fast motion these days, as we all know, and uh, players' voices are starting to be heard and not just heard but uh people are following through with some of the requests and 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 then pointing out what they believe are some injustices and but as of right now i guess i'll stick with my prediction yeah and you have oklahoma one oklahoma state two texas three iowa state four and then tcu baylor k-state after this where are you drawing the line of true contenders to appear in the Big 12 championship. Where's that drop-off for you from teams you believe can reach the title game and those you just don't believe can do it? I think uh, right at five at TCU, I think Iowa State has an opportunity to uh, win the Big 12. Uh, very well could see them do it. Texas is just absolutely you know loaded with talent. Uh, Oklahoma State, I think because of Chuba Hubbard and the improvement at the quarterback position they still have to have to have some receivers step up and of course OU, you um you know going for yet another big 12 title is the favorite but i just don't see teams like tc tcu baylor kansas state being able to challenge and you mentioned texas again you have them third behind oklahoma state ahead of iowa state if, if we were to widen widen the lens on the Longhorns, where do you see them sitting in the national picture? Do you do you believe them? Are you buying them as a top 10 or a top 15 team? Or are you still skeptical on that? I'm skeptical. I think they're like a, maybe a top 20 team. I, don't, I You know, we'll see. Um, I, I think they could, they're probably a little, should be a little bit higher than a top 20 team. But, you know, uh, until they can come through in some of the big moments and I was a little disappointed, obviously, in the way they performed last season after coming off that Sugar Bowl victory. Um, I, I think that more than anything, they just got to show some consistency um, for me to kind of give some, uh, you know, some props to them. Obviously, they get a chance early in the season going to LSU. Um, if they can do that, if they can knock off LSU on the road 
in the Bayou, I think that would go a long way in proving that they are not just maybe a top 10 team, but also a contender in the Big 12. Staying with Texas, how much does the abbreviated offseason factor into your opinion of Texas, uh, specifically talking that the Chris Ash hire here? Obviously, Herman's been there long enough where there should be some sort of continuity, but bringing in Ash with the abbreviated bizarre offseason, um, if it was a normal offseason, would you be buying Texas a little bit more specifically regarding that hire? Yeah, maybe. And, you know, They had six changes on their staff in the offseason, and I think obviously the spring it's affecting everybody, but it's going to affect these teams more that have had a lot of staff changes, You know, especially at some uh, position spots, not necessarily a coordinator. But um, I think that what the good thing for Chris Ash is he comes in, he has some veterans to kind of work with there. Um, still, uh, the defense struggled a little bit. They've got to take probably like two steps forward, I think, to be in that national conversation at the end of the year is potentially getting into the playoff, which would mean a Big 12 title. Um, but it, it's going to be interesting to watch, you know, if they switch completely to this 3-4 base to a 4-3, um, which is interesting to me just because of how pass-heavy the Big 12 is. And I think the Big 12 is going to have probably the best set of quarterbacks in, in the Power 5 this season. And moving from a 3-4 to a 4-3, uh, it's definitely interesting as far as the timing with that. And one of those quarterbacks, the new one at Oklahoma, replacing that that run of Heisman winners, Heisman contenders, Spencer Rattler. In terms of, again, the national picture for that, is it Oklahoma or bust for the Big 12's playoff chances? Or, I mean, let's just assume best-case scenario that there are no personnel changes at Oklahoma State. They really are the second-best team in the conference. They're a true contender. But in terms of the playoff chances, is it really Oklahoma or bust for that conference? I think whoever comes out of the Big 12, if it's not Oklahoma, they'd have to do so undefeated. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I'll say this though. I think the PAC 12 is probably another conference. Obviously they've been left out since 2016. Uh, that could very well continue this season because the problem with them is that their champions in the PAC 12 are usually losing, you know, non-conference games. Uh, take for example, Washington and Oregon, the last two PAC 12 champions, they both lost their season openers to Auburn and Auburn was a middle of the pack. SEC team that didn't help them in the in the rankings something similar could happen with Texas I mean Texas as I said going to LSU if they lose to LSU early in the season even though it's a road game then they go on and win the Big 12 and then let's say you know LSU after losing 14 players to the NFL draft does that really hurt you know uh you know Texas because LSU might be end up being a team that's like third or fourth in their conference and the SEC, those are all things you got to consider. I don't think it's a matter of just, hey, you won, you won this conference any, anymore. It's a matter of resume and good non-conference scheduling and not having a, a loss to a team that's kind of in the middle of the pack, especially when you're coming from conferences such as the SEC where, you know, it's not entirely impossible, as we've seen, to get two of their teams into the college football playoff. And you've got other programs, you know, obviously with the Big 12 and the Pac-12, just trying to get one team in. And the Pac-12, just ask them, it's been it's been extremely difficult. And you have to almost have a perfect, well, you probably do have to have a perfect season in the Pac-12 at this point to be able to get there. I'm not sure if you've run through all of your playoff and why uh, big picture predictions yet, but do you, do you think that the Big 12 will get a team in again this year? I think so. Um the conference I have an issue with, like I said, is still the Pac-12. Um, we'll see. I, I think the Pac-12 this year is going to have to have a team that comes goes through. And 
and and and doesn't have a loss or their one loss is to say maybe the second place team or third place team in the in the Pac-12 and that team also is strong and potentially a top 10 or top 15 team but it's all about who you lose to and not necessarily when you lose to them anymore it's about who you lose to because as I mentioned last two Pac-12 champions they lost season openers go on to win their conference and they're way left out uh, of the playoff uh, conversation so uh, but the Big 12, I think, though, whoever the champion is in the Big 12, that team will end up being in the playoff this year. And if that champion is Oklahoma again, let's say into the four seed again, or even the three, if you want to talk about that, do you have any faith that things will go differently for them in the playoff this year after getting basically run out of the stadium three of their four appearances? Not this year, and that's not necessarily knocking Oklahoma, but just uh, the. <laughs> Uh, praising just the immense talent and experience that teams like in Alabama, Clemson, and Ohio State will have this year. Um, if those are the teams that make it, and I don't, I haven't had my playoff predictions, uh, you know, placed out yet. But if you just look at it, you know, off the top of my head, those teams have so much more talent, more depth that I, I think that whoever Oklahoma faced in that. And that that gauntlet, they wouldn't be able to make it past the semifinals, no matter who they faced. And Oklahoma, obviously, having to replace the quarterback and doing so with a redshirt freshman and not a transfer for the first time. But I don't necessarily believe that they're going to take a huge step back or anything like that quarterback. But I just think as a team, Oklahoma is probably not going to be as good as they were last year, though that probably still means they win the Big 12 and head to the head to the playoff, but they would probably do so as the weakest team in that four team field. And even though we have seen Alabama Clemson, you know, dominate for much of the last decade, college football, as you know very well, it does ebb and flow. There are some inconsistencies across the country. Even with that ebbing and flowing long term, you said not this year for Oklahoma. I mean, do you see it as a long term problem, either for Oklahoma or the Big Twelve as a whole? Like long term down the road, do you see Oklahoma being able to truly compete in the playoff? Or is this a big picture thing where you can't even see far out to say Oklahoma really has a shot to compete in the playoff three, four years down the road? Yeah, it's difficult because also, I mean, listen, the the reason why Oklahoma has been so successful in being able to get to the playoff is, one, the talent. But Lincoln Riley is just otherworldly with his coaching on offense. I think he's the best offensive head coach in the entire country. I don't know if many people would even argue with that. I might be just saying what everybody already knows. And all he needs is just kind of that perfect year where everything seems to come together. Um, Not to make comparisons, but look at a program like LSU where, you know, they're getting top 10 talent every year and they just seemingly couldn't, you know, bust through with less miles than early with that Orgeron. And then they kind of just change things. Then they get a once in a generation talent and Joe Burrow, and it changed everything for them. They have a they have a season for the ages, one of the better teams in college football in the last 20 years. Um, who's to say that can't happen at OU? Now, I don't think OU has to have a once-in-a-generation talent to be able to do that. They just got to be deeper and a little bit more talented at a lot of positions. You know, Clemson, that's a program that, you know, everybody looks at a rebuild as like three or four years. But that's a program that's been having to be built up over the last eight to nine, ten years mm-hmm. uh, before they started getting to this point. Um, Alabama's Alabama. 
I mean, you have a number one or number two classes every year. You're going to be in the conversation as long as you have competent coaches and consistency and a lack of turnover in the coaching spots. So for OU, I think, one, the recruiting's got to get, improve a little bit. The depth's got to be better. And then if that doesn't happen, maybe you get, you know, maybe maybe Spencer turns into this once-in-a-generation type, which is saying something considering OU's had two Heisman winners in the last three years, but someone who just absolutely changes the game completely um, that would be able to not only lead you to a playoff, but he'd be able to take over a game and lead you to victory in these big, big, big games at the end. Going back to your predictions, Brandon, again, you had Oklahoma 1, Oklahoma State, Texas, Iowa State, TCU at 5, and you mentioned that's kind of where you draw the line, and correct me if I'm wrong on this, when I was reading your article, I got the feeling that you had a hard time maybe getting a read on TCU, if that is true or if that isn't true. Um, you know, were they were they the Big 12 team that you w- most struggle with getting a read on this year? Yeah, and and a lot of it's kind of off the field stuff. And I talk to people that are much more familiar with the program than me. I mean, you know, Gary Patterson, I feel like, is coming near the end of his tenure there and as a college coach. Uh, I'm sure he wouldn't say that or he's probably not even thinking that. But if you look at the moves he's made, he's brought in a lot of people that he's known over the years He's want, that he's wanted to coach with, you know, friends. Um, he's got Jerry Kill, his longtime friend, former college teammate, on board as a special assistant who he is told, hey, you're the head coach of the offense. I think Jerry Kill's a great coach. It's just... Sometimes you have to have some people that challenge you uh, in the room with you, even if you're the head coach. And I think by doing what he's doing, that can make you a little bit too comfortable, especially with as long as he's been there. I I don't see TCU being a team that's going to make a sudden jump this year after that uh, pretty dreadful year last season. I just don't see it. Um, And part of that's just because of the coaching staff. I think they got good coaches. It's just, when, you, when you're working with friends, that doesn't necessarily become a recipe for success. I mean, I, I'm trying to think back like, oh, remember that time that coaching staff with all those friends won a national championship or won the title? I, I don't remember ever hearing that. And then going to the bottom, uh, well, you do have Baylor 6 after TCU, but the bottom four, all teams uh, with second-year head coaches, Kansas State 7, Kansas 8, West Virginia 9, Texas Tech 10, of all those programs uh, with second-year coaches, which coach are you the most confident in there? Is it Chris Kleiman? Is it seventh reflective of your faith in Chris Kleiman? Or going down that list, uh, you know, which of, of Neil Brown, Matt Wells, Les Miles, and Chris Kleiman are you feeling better about long-term with each of those four programs? Well, I feel better about Chris Kleiman long-term. Uh, as far as Les Miles, I feel good about them this year because of the staff he has, particularly the offensive coordinator Brent Deerman who they elevated late last season, and the offense just really took off for them. They're replacing pieces, but I love what Brent Deerman's doing offensively. And I've got Kansas 8th in the in the league, which, I mean, it's hard to believe to me, but Kansas hasn't finished 8th or higher in the Big 12 since 2008. 12 years. That's incredible. I think they're going to get it done this year. I, 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 kinda, I wrestled with whether Texas Tech should finish last because of the quarterback. But I end up putting him there. I could easily see them being eighth or even seventh. But I end up, someone had to be last. I put Texas Tech down there. And West Virginia, I still think they've got some rebuilding to do still under Neil Brown. But uh, 
Kansas and Kansas State, to me, are, are the teams, especially Kansas State, that, that are built a little bit more for the long term. I like what they're doing. And, and Kansas, if they can keep Brent Deerman on board, and even if that doesn't happen, continue with this offensive philosophy where they've kind of moved out of Les Miles' comfort zone of, of you know these short tosses and everything that people mm-hmm. were accustomed to watching at LSU – I think Kansas could uh, jump up on some people this season. How do you think that the, I mean, this question we could probably do an entire podcast on, but how do you think the the bottom four, whatever you think the bottom tier of the, the Big 12 is, whether or not it's just Texas Tech or two, three, or four teams, how does the bottom of the Big 12, do you think, compare to the bottom of the other Power 5 conferences? I mean, normally in the past, it's just kind of been Kansas at the very, very bottom, and then not a whole lot of crap right above them. It's usually been you know mediocre teams or at least teams that can scare Oklahoma, for example, one night or scare Texas. This year, how do you like the bottom of the Big Twelve compared to the other Power Five conferences? That's a good question. You know, I, I look at the SEC. There's going to be some good teams at the bottom, like the SEC. I think Mississippi State's not going to have a great record because they're going to be transferring over to that air raid under Mike Leach, but they're going to be thrown for a ton of yards and could contend against some teams, but they're going to end up losing. Um, you know, in the Pac-12, I, I think that that is probably comparable to the, to the bottom half of the Big 12 or the bottom third, as you might want to put it. Um, but also, you got to consider that Pac-12 has more teams, um, so that obviously could further dilute the product, so to speak. Um, the ACC, though, <laughs> I think the bottom part of their conference is – uh, weaker than the Big 12. I mean, the ACC is the weakest Power 5 conference in the country. I think we can all agree with that. Um, other than Clemson, I think North Carolina has a chance, to, uh, you know, to really improve and, and maybe finish second, you know, overall. But, you know, beyond that, people want to talk about Miami. I'm still not seeing it there. But the bottom of that conference is probably going to be pretty bad. And I would say that the Big 12's bottom part, Maybe the second worst among the Power Five, but the ACC by far is the worst. Brandon, last thing for you here. We talked a little bit of coaches there with those bottom four here. And, you know, last year I spent a good amount of time looking at those coaches and saying, you know, I don't see where we're going to see a coaching change in the Big 12 after this year. And, you know, it came really late with Matt Rule, but from really start to finish with all those first-year head coaches and guys in really stable situations, it was really hard to see where a Big 12 coaching change could come. And even though things happen in college football a lot, I have a really hard time looking at the Big 12 and saying this is where it's going to happen this year. I mean, I guess is a a terrible season from Tom Herman really the only thing, in your opinion, that could result in a coaching change, either voluntary, somebody somebody leaving? Um, We can't really predict that at all. But where could you possibly even see one in the Big 12 this year? Yeah, I mean, like a coaching change where they'd have to straight up fire a guy. It would have to be Tom Herman, like after like a four win season or something like that. Um, You know, a complete like meltdown that comes out, maybe not out of nowhere, but just goes completely against the grain considering everything they've got coming back, including a quarterback. You know, but, you know, like I said, like a TCU, Gary Patterson's been there a while. Maybe he hangs it up and calls it quits at some point soon here in the next couple of years. Who knows what's going to happen with Mike Gundy at Oklahoma State, though everything seems to be okay now, but that stuff's always changing by the IR, it seems like, as more players uh, talk. And then, of course, the athletics director and president looks into the program and and, and sees what's going on there or what's not going on. Um, and then, you know, of course, 
maybe what happens with Matt Campbell at Iowa State? Does he end up going somewhere else? Right. If he has a very successful year at Iowa State, that seems to be like a launching pad job for him potentially. Or does he want to stay there and build something? I don't know. But even in the bottom four, you know, teams we're talking about, th- those are not going to have coaching changes because they're earlier in their careers right now. And there seems to be some progress in most of those uh, situations. So, yeah, I think the Big 12 is in a situation where much like last year, you're not going to see. There's possible you don't see any coaching changes unless there's a complete meltdown by Texas or some voluntary movement elsewhere at places like maybe Iowa State. Yeah, definitely fascinating. I can't remember a time uh, really in the last 20, 25 years when we've looked at back-to-back years in the Power 5 Conference, those bottom teams, and say, you know what, their jobs seem seem pretty darn secure. All right, that is Brandon Marcello, 24-7 Sports, on Twitter, at BMarcello. Brandon, really appreciate the Big 12 talk here. Thanks for chatting, and have a good week. Yeah, you too. Thanks.